so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Guaranteed to be more meaningful than an F1 engine fly with a really black screen around it. Welcome to episode 28 of Motorsport 101. We've got a absolutely stacked show of news, news and more news and a little bit of racing too on this occasion because let's be real here, we're still kind of in off-season mode for at least another month. Boo. The good news is we still also have co-hosts. So alongside me as always is Mr. Adam Johnson. Uh, good evening, chaps and folks. Well, good, good whenever you're listening to this podcast. Yep. And from America, of course, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Hold up. Give me a second. I need to call ExxonMobil to see if they'll fund my racing season. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it's not an Indiegogo yet? Topical. <laughs> nah, nah. Holding out. Holding out. Like, to be fair, he's gone into a bit of a slum running because he's found out his favorite athlete in the world, Michaela Schifrin, is actually a Denver Broncos fan. No. <laughs> the ultimate betrayal. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's almost as, as disappointing as finding out on Instagram you still aren't married to Jennifer Bex because she's uploading topless pics on her Instagram page. <laughs> this week is full of disappointments. Whoa, Dre, we need people to listen to the show, <laughs> not go to Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is quickly turning into the Forever Alone podcast. <laughs> Oh god! Well, this this week on Mister and Mrs. Um, no, but in all seriousness, yeah, like with episode twenty-eight, I've not got a witty title for the episode just yet. I'm sure King will probably come up with one between now and the end of this episode's recording. But we've actually got a fair bit amount of news to get through on this one. So coming up on this episode of the podcast, we'll be talking about Formula E in Argentina as Sam Bird took his third career Formula E victory, but let's be real here, a certain Swiss dude stole the show on that one. We'll be talking about the fact they want a GP finale in New York soon, which is very, very intriguing. And Berlin has got a brand new layout as well. We're going to be dedicating yet more time to MANA. At this point, they should be sponsoring us for the amount of coverage we give them on this damn podcast. But they've announced their driver lineup as the F1 grid for 2016 is now complete. As Pascal Wehrlein and today's announcement of Rio Harianto joining the team. We'll be talking about that, the concept of pay drivers, crowdfunding in general. We'll be talking about all that good stuff because it flows in very beautifully to the recent Carmen Jordan, Richie Stanaway, Marcus Sorensen triangle of well, pettiness, I think is the best way we can describe it. As uh, Stanaway and uh, Sorensen decided to uh, throw the shade in Jordan's correction, and Jordan's direction, I should say, and why that's kind of a problem. We'll be talking about Top Gear, as because, you know, we still kind of all like Top Gear here, and we all kind of watch it, so let's talk about it, because, hey, cultural relevance. We, we, we like our culture on this show. And Chris so Harris. And Chris Harris, yes. So we'll be talking about that during the show as well, and obviously Top Gear, BBC Top Gear reveal, and they have seven different personalities hosting their show not sure about that one that's we'll be going to work <laughs> says who um we'll be talking about sergio marchioni and the concept of alfa romeo potentially returning to formula one as well because it looks like ferrari wants more than one b team who knew and we'll be talking about honda and the great japanese driver reshuffle as Stoffel van dorn will be packing his bags and heading to japan the super formula this season as well as art running machuhita and the Kazumi and GP3 as well. And we got your questions as well, featuring Mana, Haas, Renault, and a bunch of other stuff. All that and probably a lot more 
on this episode of the podcast. So let's get into it and let's talk about Formula E. And it's actually nice we can actually have three people talk about this because Johnson actually made an effort to watch this one. Isn't that right, Adam? It is indeed. And I had it on a multi-tab screen because uh, the Bathurst 12-hour GT race was also on, but I decided to have it on a separate tab. And I'm really glad I locked into this one. See... Uh, in brief, I watched the first ever Formula E race a year right. or so ago, and mm. I thought, eh, it's probably not my bag, but I respect it for what it is, and I sort of, it just existed in another sphere from me. But on this day, I happened to go, no, I'm going to watch it again. And boy, I chose a good race to come back in for, didn't I? Yeah, I mean, okay, let's get to the, let's go to the chase. Sam Bird took a majestic win from lights to flag. I think that's only the third lights to flag victory in Formula E short history of 15 races. So, yeah, Bird took a pretty convincing win in the end, but the, the main entertainment of the show came from Sebastian Buemi, who had to start from the back of the field after a spin in qualifying and put him down in 20th position. But he seemed to have this nature of this. He had a, a car that was, I think was blatantly wired for more top speed, and he had this move where he was just going through turns three and four and setting himself up to pass people. And he did it with majestic fashion. It was like watching like a, the early stages of a Gran Turismo race in the early going, because he was just going down the inside and pulling off these ridiculous overtakes through half the field king. And yeah, it, 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 it was the Sebastian Wemmy show for all intents and purposes. Yeah, I mean, he clearly shows that he's one of the fastest guys in the series by I would say a mile the way he was cutting through the field. It wasn't even it wasn't even a question about whether he'll score points or not. It was a question whether he'll be standing on the podium or not. <laughs> yeah, it's like like he had about six laps where he could have very easily won the race. On, on another day he probably wins, but Sam Bird seemed to have a really well set up car as well for top speed. And the signature move into turns into turns three and four, where Bremi was passing people left and right, just didn't quite work on Bird. Uh, even though I think he was a little bit over defensive on a couple of occasions, making more than one move, which technically speaking isn't allowed. But Formula E's kind of always giving you giving you the slide for things like that, so who cares? Um, quite frankly, but Bremi was all over the back of Bird towards the end, and it made for an incredibly tense finale. And like I said, if you haven't seen it, go out of your way to watch it. In fact, Formula E's own YouTube channel, which is very, very good, by the way, mm. actually last night put up the full highlights of Bremi, like a lot of onboards and radio messages from Bremi's car, which is actually pretty cool. Because it's, actually, it's actually nice to see a lot more insight into the cars because Formula E is very unique in terms of managing energy and you know power usage and little things like that. They have all of that in there as well as all of Bremi's overtakes, including one where he's, he's going literally four wide <laughs> into turn four. And he's able to come out of it on the better for it, which is which is great. And also look out for the Lucas Degrassi pass as well. That was an absolute top draw overtake before the chicane um, towards the end of the race as well. Even though Lucas's fan boost apparently wasn't working, which is apparently a big reason why when we got got round and finished in second place in the end, and he got the fastest lap bonus as well. So he got a bonus two points. Oh, it was as good as a win, quite frankly, in the grand scheme of things. Um, nearly uh, as good as a win, quite frankly, given the situation. But yeah, Bird takes the win. He's up into third in the championship now as well. But overall, go out of your way to see this race. I, I gave it a 9 out of 10 rating at the time for those guys that like my review scores and things like that. It, it's up there with the very best the series has had so far in its short history. And I know a lot of people tried to shout me down for this one, telling me, Dre, how dare you enjoy this race so much? And I'm like, really? This is a valid criticism now? <laughs> <laughs> 
Like, how dare you enjoy yourself more than the average person? How dare you? But um, absolutely go out of your way to see it. The whole thing is on YouTube. Formulary does pretty much upload the entire race on YouTube now, so absolutely go out of your way to see it. But I want to touch base with you on something here, King. Like, there's a lot. there was a lot of talk last week about how Formulary seems to be trying to get a race in New York. Now, now you are a New York resident, and I'd love your take on this, King. So fire away. The, the, the floor is yours on this one. Oh, I mean, I would, I would kill for for <laughs> New York City to host Formula E race, and for it to be the finale, that would be incredible. Mm. But New York has a long history of trying to host international motor races, and it not, you know, turning out well. Formula One tried to come here what in the eighties, mm. and then again over the past couple of years, Cart Cart picked up Formula One's pieces in the eighties and actually raced here around the Meadowlands in New Jersey where the New York Giants, the NFL team play mm -hmm. NASCAR forever has tried to been trying to build a short track over a landfill in Staten Island. That has not gone down well at all. Yeah. So, and I, and I think it's going to go down to whether they can find a place to race and how much, if they can, if they can find a promoter willing to pay all the fees to get it set up. As I'm guessing, running a Grand Prix in the middle of hustling and bustling in New York can't be cheap. It's very much like the situation why we hear every so often about a potential Grand Prix in central London. I'm like, look, if you can pay, if you can find someone who will pay the sky-high bills to shut down half of central London for a day, or more likely two weeks to set up a Grand Prix, because, you know, it's not just the race weekend. You've got to build the track. You've got to set it up. You've got to... You know, construct. I mean, apparently they're already constructing the track for the St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg IndyCar race, and that's still a good almost a month away. So, you'd have a lot of work going in. So, in a similar way to the speculated London Grand Prix, I'm with King on this one. It will be great to see. And was I the only one who, when somebody mentioned about a street track in New York, was reminded of the fictional street circuit in New York from Gran Turismo 4? Yes, yes, <laughs> And I was like, if yes. you use that layout, and we're on. It'll be great. But <laughs> I mean, one thing I got to cite, that street track would be impossible in real life because it goes, dreams, straight, <laughs> no. it goes straight through Times Square. That'd be like having a London track that goes through Piccadilly Circus. Which Let's they had in Gran Turismo 5 and 6, I believe. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, the, the closest thing I would compare this to would be every year, you know, New York City has a New York City marathon. Oh, and yeah. they shut... And the start of the marathon is probably one of the most iconic marathon starts in the world where it goes over the bridge from Staten Island to Brooklyn, which is the only way in or out of Staten Island. So, I mean, by car. The only way in or out by car. And it's shut down the bridge for a week. And it is complete hell. Yeah. <laughs> so, in other words, it would be amazing if we got a Grand Prix in New York, but basically don't count on it because there's a basically there's, it's it's going to be a logistic nightmare to basically pull that one off mm. it, same it, with same with the grand prix in central london don't hold your breath but it'd be awesome right exactly but um one more piece of formulary uh news regarding their tracks and future kind of stuff is that berlin is moving away from its airport structure and it's actually going to be um, going into the heart of berlin itself for a new city layout, which basically looks like one great big pickaxe. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. 
Yeah, um, I'm not sure on the logistics of Berlin. Maybe King will help us out on this one as well. Cause I, know he, I, know he, I know he's lived in Germany for a bit. But it looks like it's right in the city center, King. Is that right? Yeah, it's literally in the middle of, of Berlin near the main... Well, I, I wouldn't say the main rail station, but it's probably like number two, maybe number one. Right. Okay. Yeah, and the reason why they had to move away from the airport is because of the refugee crisis. They're using Tempelhof Airport to house the refugees. Christ. So they had to come up with, you know, a plan B to host the, the Berlin Epri somewhere else, and they got, well, <laughs> the middle of Berlin. Wow. It's like the only way you could get more iconic in Berlin is if you have it, you know, near uh, the Bundestag and, you know, uh, you know, the main gate to Berlin that's probably more well-known than that area, but that would be, you know, national security reasons you couldn't do that. So this is literally the biggest place. Like, they probably would have taken this over Templehof any yeah. day. So this is but basically, we've just been talking about how it'd be so difficult to have a Ypres or a Grand Prix in two massively busy city centres, and now we're talking about one that is happening in a massively busy city centre. So, hey, I guess that what this proving is that anything's possible, even if your hand's forced. <laughs> hey, it's like, it's like, oh no, we're in a bad situation. Let's get us a better track. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, refugees. <laughs> Cheers. Everybody's a winner. <laughs> Everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner with, with, the, with the Berlin E-Prix for season two. But um, the track looks like a great business. Like a, it looks like a great big pickaxe, quite frankly. And it actually looks like there's, there's a fair few places for overtaking. So overall, I'm pretty much down for the idea. I like all of it pretty much. I mean, Formula E doesn't really do much wrong in the first place as a series at all. Mm. So um, I am all for this. And to find out that it was actually a backup plan that worked out beautifully <laughs> like that just makes it all the more sweeter than anything else. But um, yeah, brilliant news from Formula E as well. Again, like I said before, check out the Buenos Aires race. Like back-to-back -back years, both seasons, they both had fantastic races. Season one was a bit more of a let's see who can break their, their, their suspension unit first um, kind of fest. And season two was, was just a brilliant, brilliant comeback from Remy that made for such great entertainment. So, yay, Formula E, all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. Moving on, Manor. Now, <laughs> we've talked Where do about, we start? Like, like, we've talked about Manor so much on this podcast over the last year and a half or so incidentally graham loudon if you're listening uh sponsorship packages start at uh, yeah yeah have him sponsor the show because at this point we talk about him so much it's basically free promotion um <laughs> but it's it's intriguing because a lot has gone down at manor again since the last episode <laughs> we recorded a f no just no nearly three weeks ago now which is kind of crazy um in that time, they now have revealed their full driver lineup, which is like a month earlier than last year. Um, but at this point in time, they are not only expanding into the WEC, and we'll get into that in a minute, but they've they've revealed their lineup. Pascal Wehrlein, the uh, last year's and, and now obviously now reigning the youngest ever DTM champion, turned 21 the day after he won the championship. Pascal Wehrlein takes one of the seats alongside Rio Harianto. Now. Let's talk about Pascal here quickly, briefly first, because I think this was universally smiled upon. I think a lot of people like Pascal. I think a lot of people think he's a great talent. I know, I know. There's a there's a bunch of German followers I have that absolutely swear by him being the truth. <laughs> well, I think as soon as Manor got that Mercedes engine deal, a mm. uh, considering Wehrlein's close links with Mercedes anyway, I think we could all see this coming. So it wasn't really much of a surprise, but no. it was still pleasant news. I think yeah. generally thumbs up on this one. 
Yeah, exactly. I think I think most people looked quite favorably at Wehrlein, and I think people, I think a lot of people have had him penciled in hmm. for an F1 seat in any case. Um, so you know, great news for, for for Mercedes. Great news for Man. That's a great talent they've got in Formula One. There, very likable guy as well. Gorgeous helmet design, by the way. If you haven't seen that already on, on, yeah, on his Twitter account, yeah. that, that, that thing is a. He takes uh, Samplis black and gold to a whole new level on that one. <laughs> and he's using the number 94, the year of his birth. So uh, for you young'uns out there, that should be able to relate to something like that. Oh, that makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, you are old. I feel so old. I was two like, years I was older, and, I'm, and he's two years younger, and he's in F1, and I'm sat at my computer with you a lot. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's real nice of you there, Johnson. Thanks. I'm glad you sent that one along, you, you old Motorsport fart. fucking 101. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically three not-quite-so-old farts around the microphone talking some motorsport. Great. <laughs> is, is that our sales pitch from here on? Is that going to be our official catchphrase? We're not well, considering we're now talking about 16 to 20-year-olds in F1, it pretty much <laughs> is. We are old farts. Yeah, it's like, hey, hey, hey. Like, like, this is basically like what happens if you get Martin Brundle, Damon Hill, and Johnny Herbert around for a, around a table for a podcast now. It's just like, hey, <laughs> we're, we're, we're the second generation of slightly old farts talking about motorsport. But yeah, Pascal is in, and that was universally quite favoured upon. Everybody seemed to like that idea. Yes, Not yes, so- of the universe here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Compared to today's, and well, time of recording today, like, by the time you listen to this, it'll be like a whole 24 hours ago. Holy crap. Which um, everything can change in. Yeah, everything, you know, we might already be out of date given what goes on with Mana these days. But <laughs> uh, their second driver announcement was Rio Harianto from Indonesia. You know, I was about to call him the AOR fan favorite because of his, his league racing days on the F1 games. But Harianto is in, and this one wasn't looked at quite so favorably, I think, for, for, a, for a multitude of reasons. I think one of them is the departure of Alexander Rossi and Will Stevens. I think they're, you know, two very strong media entities in America and the UK. Um, the, the UK press, of course, will fight their corner for any of their drivers, <laughs> Will Stevens included, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, the British motorsport in terms of F1 is kind of in a bit of a downturn anyway, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, we've got Palmer. Then we've got Palmer alongside um, Hamilton and Button, the big two for the last fifteen years or so now. But like, who's like I said, Paul? Like, who, who's the next guy going to be? Like, Alex Lynn's still over there at Williams. Dean Stowman's probably too old to get him through the front door now. Um, so you know, they're going to get defensive over guys like Will Stevens, even if he wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> given he was outplayed at Manor by Roberto May, who's kind of been a bit of a laughing stock figure in F one for quite some time anyway. Like, people weren't exactly saying Mehi was the truth, and he was still better than what Stevens was last year. Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't help. And then Alexander Rossi, who came in and did legitimately look very good, including that 12th place finish at Kota, which was the best result of the season for the, for, for the Manor team. And of course, we know what the Americans are like. They haven't had a lot of F1 influence over the last few years anyway, and... Of course, the Americans are going to pull for a guy like Rossi, who has been in or around F1 for three or four years, as it is, with, with you know, Caterham and when the team was Mauritia as a reserve. He was meant to drive it in 2014 um, until Max Chilton's uh, funding disappeared and then magically came up again <laughs> the day of the Spa weekend. But on the whole, King, I mean... It's been it's been a very vocal day, I'd say, for, for this driver hiring. And to me, this Harry Anto hire makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I've been scrolling through the Formula One subreddit, and it makes a lot of sense. Harry Anto is a solid driver. He's, Fourth you know, competed. 
Yeah, fourth in GP2 last year, a lot of people are going to complain that, oh, it took him four years to even get fourth. That is worse than, you know, Jolin Palmer, who won the championship in his fourth year. But then again, why does nobody ever bring that up with Pastor Maldonado or Romain Grosjean who, or Davide Valsecchi, who all got into Formula 1 in some capacity in their fourth seasons of taking part in GP2? So I, I, don't, I don't really find that a valid comparison. Not everybody adapts to the class quickly. People mm. are different, you know? So, again... The ability is an argument there, but again, like, Harry Hanto won three Grand Prix last year. He had two other second-place finishes in GP2 last season. He's there. He's one of the top-tier dudes in the class. So, But then but then people do get picky saying that, oh, he's never won a feature race because, you know, uh, in a feature race, the grid's based on qualifying. In the sprint races, it's a reverse top eight grid. So if you finish, you know, eighth, you start on pole. Yeah, while that's true to a degree, I've never heard that argument used against anybody else ever no. for GP2. So. I've, not heard, I've not heard it used over in the British Touring Car Championship where reverse grid races have been a thing for about over a decade now, so I've yeah. not heard that as legit either. Yeah, it seems very convenient to bring up yeah, the fact it he's is. not won a feature race, but bottom line is, points make prizes and he was fourth overall last year, and that's yep. very, very solid indeed. And we've seen people lower down the scale than that, like Marcus Ericsson, who was sixth in his final year in GP2, and he got into Caterham and is still now in Formula 1 with Sauber. So, I'm not really buying that one, quite frankly. Yeah, like, what what I'd argue against that, if you look back to 2011, Harrianta was very strong in his second season in GP2. He even ended up getting a feature win. So... Mm -hmm. A feature win in a field that contained Valtteri Bottas and Connor Daly. Yeah, a st like Harry Anto is, is, is strong. He's young. He just turned 23 last month. He's not exactly one of the older dudes out there that people would use as a complaint. Like, oh, you know, you, you, you need young talent. We need young talent to get in there. Uh, no, he's 23. He just, he, he just turned 23, and he's already got a plethora of experience in GP2 and other junior formulas. So I'm not buying that one either. And like I said, I think the biggest reason for criticism there is that, you know, no Alexander Rossi, who... And to be fair to Rossi, it's a shame because he really did have a breakout year last year with, with GP2, with the racing engineering team. He was obviously runner-up to Stoffel Van Dorn's success. And, you know, Rossi did get his chance with, with those five-manner races he took part in. And he was very solid in those five races. He won the teammate battle on four of those five occasions. But people seem to forget that Alexander Rossi was very well-funded, too. And... It's it, it goes back to the pay driver discussion, and it, it, it's been done to death. I did a column about it to like about the time you listened to this yesterday, called Harry Anto and the Death of the Pay Driver on Harrison101.com if you want to check that out. But at the same time, I talked about that, and I talked that people seem to be very picky and choosy when it comes to drivers getting in, and they will use certain arguments to try and convince themselves otherwise on things like this. And performances is one of them, and like funding is another one like oh he's just a pay driver alexander rossi was a pay driver too of a of a strong degree he only got in because yeah. he was very well sponsored mid-season that's why man he got dropped in the first place hey dre but, dre, I, dre, I, dre go on go dre, sorry guys guess who else is a pay driver Almost Dude. everyone else in <laughs> motorsport yes like people don't realize including this. kevin magnuson yeah like, sorry we, internet yeah, he's we, a pay driver as well <laughs> he, we mentioned this last episode how 
Magnuson had a very prominent Danish sponsor. Mm-hmm. But because we like Magnuson and we want to see him in Formula One, we'll very He's conveniently okay. ignore that information. Uh-huh. Just like Alexander Rossi, who was very well popular, but of course also very well funded. So, of course, people will conveniently ignore that information when bringing up Harry Anto and how, yes, he got funded from, what, what was it, King? I think some kind of Indonesian oil company? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, Pertamina. It's the state Indo- it's a state-owned Indonesia oil company. So, yeah, government funding, government-backed. You know, we've seen this story before on many occasions with drivers and national sponsors. I mean, look, look, at, look at Felipe Naza, another guy that was, you know, sponsored by Brazil's National Bank. So, well, I, mean, well, I mean, if that's not more of an obnoxious sponsor that people would hate, you'd think a Brazilian national bank would be right at the top of the pile, but nope. <laughs> what do I know? But I, I don't want to criticize anyone here, but I think one person's tweet sums this whole situation up to in a nutshell this tweet from you know bbc radio's jenny gow oh no basically says no jen please no (laughs) basically says she feels very sad for alexander rossi one of the nicest men in f1 thought that he deserved the shot at the at a full-time seat but money talks alas Jenny, no, 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 Jenny, Jenny, why? (laughs) She's defected to the dark side, everybody. We told you not to to take the cookies. Uh, Just to continue on, another one of her tweets says, she's very very interested in how Indonesians will react to Formula One. They love MotoGP, but they don't love cars. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's slightly more valid. Yeah, it, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, okay, I, as as friend of the show, and actually, in case you didn't know already, her um, she's our official episode thumbnail designer, Zara Sahid. Follow her on Twitter, um, at Zara Sahid. She's actually great, but she also said it herself. Car sales in Indonesia are down right now. It's a bike country. It's always, like, that part of the world in general loves yep. their bikes. Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam. the Philippines. Um, okay, um, okay. I have to say, it's not cultural, it's economic. Yes. The reason why they take motorcycles over cars because they're cheaper, way more fuel efficient, and usually they don't need to carry that many people. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, it, it just makes a lot more sense over there to have a bike. Would well, you remember the car. Top Gear Vietnam special when they all got yes. there and they're like, oh, we have a lot of money. Oh, actually, it can't afford to buy us a car because they're really expensive here, hence why they had to buy bikes. Yeah, exactly. And how they thought the currency is so bad over there, what they actually got was a thousand US dollars. And yeah, it wasn't much at all. All they could afford was, was scooters, essentially. Yeah. A scooters or, you know, very run of the mill, very old bikes. So, you know, it, 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 it's bike country over there. Like, they're not going to suddenly turn on the F1 because Harry Anto is in there, especially given he's driving for a back market team. So he's not going to be on TV very much in the first place now, is he? Um, unless Manor miraculously end up scoring points on a regular basis, which I think is about as likely as well. Finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Johnson getting a girlfriend? I don't, I, I... Oh! Ow! <laughs> you said <laughs> friends, man! You said for me to finish it. I finished it. Damn! <laughs> you asked for it. Don't say I didn't warn I'm you. I'm just going to go over here and find some ointment. <laughs> Get some aloe vera for that burn. Um, but um, yeah, like overall, I like Harry Anto's hiring. It makes a lot of sense from for all parties. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Manor gets a bit more money to help out with the day-to-day operations. The team needs the money. Harry Anto is a very good driver. 
they've got a very good lineup actually in, in, in general of Werlein and Harry and that's a very very strong young lineup one that actually I reckon give Renner a run for its money in terms of ability there Bajolian and uh, Magnuson over there which I'm not entirely convinced on but it's a strong lineup and they've got more money to play with they they potentially have a link to Indonesia with that I'm not saying it's, it's definitely not going to happen but as unlikely as it is it is a cultural tie it helps you know, it, it's a good move that I think makes sense for all parties. And Didn't Nore and Kartikeyan help get an Indian Grand Prix a few years back? Is that true, King? I think he did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of did. The, the Chandok family had a lot behind that. Oh, Karen but... Chandok. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting teammate battle because you have a little battle of the Southeast Asian state-owned oil companies there where you have Pascal <laughs> Veriline who drives from Mercedes, which is heavily backed by, you know, Petronas. Malaysia state-owned, yeah, Malaysia state-owned oil company, Petronas. And you have Rio Arianto, Malaysia's, you know, native son backed by their state-owned oil company, uh, Petromina. Yeah, so hey. Battle of the Southeastern Oil Companies. Put that in all your F1 season previews. That's going to be worth <laughs> the Malaysian Grand Prix entrance fee alone. Just think of the column inches, bruh. The Civil War there. Yeah, like, if, if Harry Anto wants to shut up the pay driver haters quickly, it's just show he's even close to Pascal Verline. Yeah, that will, that will silence a lot of people very quickly. Now... A couple of things I want to discuss with Manor before we move on. They've also expanded into the WEC, even though it's not really the Manor we know. It's more a branch-off operation with the name owned by John Booth and Graham Loudon. They're probably the two most prominent visual figures of Manor of Old slash Mauritia back when they were still Mauritia. It's confusing, this whole thing. <laughs> it is a bit of a head-scratcher, yeah. isn't it? It is a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah, and it's, it's like... Forward. It, it was it was an early offseason thing that people kind of felt sad about then instantly forgot that Manor fired Graham Loudon and John Booth. Yeah, two very good, <laughs> two very well likable guys in, 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 in that Manor team. And and yeah, they've now gone off the they I mean they did leak that whole Manor Motorsport Twitter page a couple of months ago, I think it was, and everyone was like, Ooh, so what's going on over here? Turns out they've they've joined the WEC for 2016 with an LMP2 car king. Yes, yes, they're joining the LMP2 crowd to have a dream of getting a class victory at Le Mans. <laughs> because they have money still, sod it, why the hell not? That's, yeah. all, that's, what, that's what all the cool kids are doing these days. They're going to endurance <laughs> racing. It seems so. so. Uh, and what's quite interesting is um, they're going into the LMP2 class, which uh, will be changing dramatically in 2017, but also... Uh, P2s are in the headline class for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So there yes. is an American angle to it as well. Is that where Rossi ends up down the road? Who knows? But mm -hmm. um, what I found quite interesting was that they unveiled their livery on Twitter. It's white, red, and grayish black. And they were like, <sighs> yeah, doesn't our livery look great? I'm like, yeah, but you unveiled it for WEC. Everyone has a white, red, and black livery. Have you seen Toyota's new one for this year? They had some blue, and even they gave up on that. Yeah, they, 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 like I don't know why they changed from blue to red. Like I love the white and blue of the Toyota, but it's yeah. like so. Let me get this straight: Audi is now black and red. Toyota yeah. is now white and red. Porsche is white and black, and now the new entries of Manor down the road in MP2 are white, black, and red. Some originality and people. and the rebellions white and red. Yeah. Oh, yes, true. That's true. The rebellions are like and that too. And Bicolors is all black. 
like, come on, Bentley, like, I, Bentley, come back. All is forgiven, and you're British racing green. Please. please I please. don't want to take the opportunity to bash WEC, but literally all the things that people complain about in F1 happen in the WEC. Yeah. Well, that's because F1 fans, uh, a lot of fans, have very unreasonable expectations. Not to mention, they will look at the, the, and a lot of WEC fans will look at anything to bash F1 with a stick. So it, it, it's a given that, you I know, mean, a lot of the WEC's issues don't get spoken about. One, because they're not as popular, and two, because they're the cool kids now. So yeah, exactly. It's like nobody, a lot of the people, no, nobody wants to slander the cool kids. Exactly. You know? A lot of the people you see bashing F1 using WEC to. To, as the stick to bash F1 with are former F1 fans who have just fallen out of love with F1 and it would be nice if they just admitted that rather than yeah. be like oh well I'm with my it's like it's like someone trying to be like oh are you jealous of my new girlfriend now I'm with WEC now I'm a WEC fan now because F1's <laughs> so lame I'm, and it's like I'm, really I, I like both I totally don't adopt this attitude of IndyCar by the way just, just, no, just none of us do. No, none of us no, do. Not, <clears throat> not, 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 not in the slightest. We're, no, we're not biased towards the Americans at all. Yeah, uh. not at all. <laughs> Although the weird thing is with IndyCar, I did say this earlier. Um, I think it was after uh, quotes came out that Max Chilton had said how more laid back things were in IndyCar over F1. How welcome in everybody was, yeah. um, I just made the analogy that it's like F1 is the crazy, chaotic party that everyone in town wants to be at. You know, we were at that party. It was like the Project X party. Yes. IndyCar is kind of like a night with your mates with semi-old video games, Domino's Pizza, other pizza outlets are available, and a crate of beers, <laughs> watching Steven Seagal movies, maybe some James Bond, and playing Call of Duty or FIFA. And as much as everyone thinks they want to be at the riotous happening party, to be honest, wouldn't we take the other option? And that's kind of it's what IndyCar is at the moment. It's not making a big deal about itself, which it probably should, but it's just kind of the nice place to be right now. It is. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to make the comparison with TV shows about the difference between House of Cards and The West Wing. They're basically two shows about the exact same thing, mm -hmm. but they take it in two complete different directions. Mm. Where F1 is House of Cards. It's like cutthroat Game of Thrones. It's like you either win or you die. Or The West Wing, <laughs> where it's like everyone's optimistic and together. It's like things may go wrong sometimes, but we're all here for each other. If only politics was actually like that in the States. <laughs> Have fun with that one. Um, but yeah, like, man, every time in the WEC, I wish them the best. Like I said, John Booth and Graham Loudon are good dudes. And one thing I wanted to bring up as well, because I know I know Manor has got a lot of hardcore fans. I want to give a shout out as well to Sarah Connors and Elizabeth Webb, two of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Go follow them. They're great people. Yeah, uh, and they have their own podcast. Yeah, The Grid Girls. Go check them out. We, we don't normally plug other things <laughs> on, this, on, on here. Other podcasts, of course, are available. But The Grid Girls is great. I listen mm. to them. I'd actually love to get them on at some point as well. That'd be cool. Uh, um, That'd be a crossover show for the ages. Well. Oh god! No, the, the, I don't think the world's ready for that. Quite frankly, at this point, because uh, me and Connors can shoot the shit. Uh, <laughs> I could just go to Boston and do it in person. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> there you go. But um, yeah, essentially, they're, they're great. I mean, they're, they're, and they're also diehard Manor fans. And isn't it kind of eerie that the Manor team we now know is almost nothing like the Manor team, which I, I, I personally wasn't on this wagon at the time. But Mana had a lot of fans a couple of years ago. But back, maybe back when they were in Mauritius, you know, they, had, they had Bianchi, they had Chilton, they had them scoring points. They were the true underdog story that people seemed to like and love. They were and, like the new Minardi. 
Yeah, they were the new minority. Like, and, and you know what? We Brits, like, we love an underdog over here. Oh, we do. Else. We love a good underdog story. We always have. Like, isn't it kind of weird how that Manatee was now like a shell of what it once was? Yeah, and even after the reboot, it was still had a popularity factor because no one expected them to make it out for season 2015. The fact they did, it was almost like a Kelly's Hero scenario. It was like, how on earth have they managed to to do this so naturally there was a lot of goodwill towards john booth graham loudon will, yeah. Steve, will the lad stevens of course uh, mary was a bit of a punch bag but hey someone had to be in this whole thing mm-hmm. um but and then alex rossi came in and everyone's like this is great no one expect no one even knows how long they're going to exist for and then they got a mercedes engine doing anything yeah oh, no they're actually going to survive what it- oh everyone's yeah. gone who we like okay the the sellout is real basically they've done what they need to do to survive <laughs> unfortunately that means shedding the skin of what people like them for of, Fair uh, it's, it's like they've emptied out the husk of everything that made that team likable now like i said before i'm not one of those guys that pulled for man i just look at them like they're another shit f1 team to be honest no you really weren't you were not you were like no. hey i'm not gonna last six months guys what are no. you even on about I, yeah yeah me and dre were on the end <laughs> <laughs> no you were just crapping them on, on the whole off season you were like really why are people supporting a team that's not going to exist in two weeks? Seriously. Yeah, like me and King are cynical. We, we had good reason to be cynical about this, <laughs> but hey, they've got themselves over the hill, but at the cost of like almost their entire identity as a team. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of sad in a way because mm. like, I do like good stories. And like I said, I've actually met Sarah in person and she's, she's an absolute delight to be around. And I've never heard a bad story about Manor, the team, as people. Like mm. I've heard nothing but glowing reports about how great a guy Graham Loudon is, how great John Booth is. They've invited fans in to look around the car. They've signed flags. They've had they give out free merchandise. Every story you hear about Manor is positive. Like every story here is like it's like it's a, it's a, it's a story of a team that is just feel so happy and humble and just happy to be there more than yeah. anything else. Which and, is a complete contrast to the top end of the grid. And that's partly why yeah. we need teams like that in Formula One, because it's all about the variety of teams. You know, as I say, back in the day, people used to love Minardi. People used to mm. love Jordan on a similar level. You, you know, that's Arrows. Good. People used to love the fact that, you know, you'd have teams at the front where, you know, uh, and in fact, I think it was a, an interview, you know, changing sport entirely. I believe it was an interview on BBC Sport with Riyad Mahrez from Leicester City. Yes. Uh, he actually said something very interesting, and I've kind of come back to it here. He said, you know, we're enjoying and not feeling any pressure being at the top of the Premier League because we're not expected to be. Arsenal, Man United, Man City, whatever, they're expected to be there, and if they're yeah. not, it's a failure. For us, right. we're lucky to even be in this league. Yes. So, yeah. And that's I mean- kind of a similar attitude in manner, obviously, they won't have that moment of suddenly leading the F1 championship unless something well, really bizarre happens. Well, there was something similar like that. A quote that, you know, just came to my head from F1 in the 70s, where do you guys have heard of the Wolf team? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You know, That's what James Hunt retired then, with, wasn't it? Yeah, Wolf eventually became Hesketh. So, yeah. Ah, I see, I see. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Canadian millionaire who owned Wolf likened, you know, how... Um, you know, horse racing used to be the sport of kings. He said F1 is the sport of corporations, where it's basically, it, it's cutthroat corporate. It's either, you know, Game of Thrones, you win or you die, and the little guy is going to get stopped out eventually. But F1 should be a place where, you know, they should have their day in the sun sometimes, yeah. and it seems like that time is gone. Yeah, well, like, at, I mean, it doesn't feel like that has been a place for F1 since... I think the last time that happened was Braun in 2009. 
and yeah. ever yeah. since then it's been very difficult and you know that's, I think that's why everyone I still remember loving that 2009 system just for Braun it's just like somebody write a movie about this <laughs> yeah because if you pitch this to Michael Bay he'd throw you out the office and tell you to come up with something a bit more plausible to be fair though the entire film's second act would be really shit <laughs> it would be kind of terrible but it <laughs> would be kind of them crawling towards victory like, 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 like because Ross Braun was one of the most legendary figures in F1 in the early 2000s and late 90s and it was such a genuine feel good story about Ross Braun when, it, when, when, when Braun had that run in 2009 and you could see the emotion just pour out of the man when, when they won the Constructors and Drivers title at the end of the 2000s the ninth season and just how much it meant and just how much work that had gone in to save that Honda team as Honda mm. were pulling out of the sport and it would have been like Manor this past year suddenly winning the Constructors Championship honestly yeah, it, would, it would have been just ridiculous on any level like 2009 season as overrated as it is it's still kind of magical for that one story alone it just is you know it's the uh, defining story of the series along with the rise of Sebastian Vettel anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah like I said Manor it's all going on down there, and it's like it's kind of a shame because like I've never been, I've not been a man of and I've not been subscribed to the whole underdog comeback thing. But it's kind of eerie and a little bit sad that yeah, while they're a little bit more stable now, well, how it comes across at least that it seems to have come of the cost of everything they've stood for as a team. It's kind of weird like that. But to be hey. honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that this offshoot WEC operation is kind of where the old school manner goes. And it feels right. to me like it will. It's being led by Graham Loudon and John Booth. Uh, yeah. They've already signed uh, an old school driver of theirs called Tor Graves, who actually quit um, endurance racing altogether in 2013 because of uh, he, he had some really kind of really kind of brutal parting shot on racing altogether. He really was disillusioned with it. Now he's coming back at the age of 43 as their first driver. So I'm kind of hoping that the slightly cavalier underdog attitude continues in their WEC effort. And to be honest with you. If there's any series or class right now where that attitude could get some success, LMP2 is it because it's not a manufacturer playground. Right. They could do quite well over there, so it will be quite interesting. But hey, the Manor F1 team survives, for better or worse. The original saviors of Manor are now off somewhere else, for better or worse. Uh-huh. Overall, I think it works out okay for all involved. Yep. So let's move on from that real quick. Good luck editing that segment, King. <laughs> But um, let's move on quickly and let's go on to Top Gear. Now, Top Gear is back in May. That's kind of established at this point in time. And over the last week and a half or so, they've been teasing, they'll be revealing their full drive, uh, not drive line, I should say, um, presenter lineup, even though that also kind of makes sense in a sense. But it turns out they've revealed they're going to have seven. Count them, seven. How many? Seven. Five plus two, <laughs> seven, seven hosts for this new Top Gear. That's going to uh, be more house robots than on the new Robot Wars. <laughs> you had to get that in, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, you I had, did. You had to get that one in. The uh, only TV reboot that matters to me coming up this year, not even Top Gear, can top Robot Wars. This is very much true. Um, so here's the full run now. We obviously knew Chris Evans is going to spearhead, is going to spearhead this new show. We knew that Matt LeBlanc was revealed last week as the second in command alongside now the newly revealed host of Sabine Schmidt I'm sure many will know from her Top Gear escapades of previous old as well as, as, well as being the queen of the Nürburgring a racing driver in her own right and a host of German motoring shows in the past as well 
We have Chris Harris, which I think was is, is by a mile the best hire they could have possibly gotten. Chris Absolutely. Chris Chris Harris is freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't watched his uh, YouTube channel, Chris Harris on cars, go out of your way to see what you're getting yourself into because he's fantastic mm-hmm. as as a as a presenter and whatnot. So they've got him on board. Rory Reed, who I think is from Sky. Like I didn't, I had no idea who he was before I revealed that announcement. Did you? No one did. I swear, <laughs> no. Everyone yeah, was just no, like, no one uh, who's did. that guy standing on the end? I thought it was Ryan King at first. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Hashtag, we all look alike. (laughs) But, um, like... It's like, who is that black guy? It's like, it's like, it's like, have we really gone for the full token black guy tournament? Because we've got, like, we've got Harris here. People might actually know who he is. (laughs) No. Like, 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 all the reports I heard is like, people were like, even staying like the little subject line requesting themselves as they wrote it. It's like, is he a YouTuber? Apparently he has a tech show on Sky. Is this person imaginary? <laughs> <laughs> He's just there to make up the numbers. And uh, and alongside the Stig, we also have Eddie Jordan from BBC F1 fame, of course, in his days as, as Jordan team owner in Formula One. You now, know, the one guy from BBC F1 coverage that we could have done without. The drunken uncle. The drunken <laughs> uncle has gotten another gig. Hey. Like I said, I call him the drunken uncle because Eddie Jordan is the kind of guy that would probably go to your wedding party and say something racist. <laughs> hey, hey. But if there's a TV show for drunken uncles out there, that show is Top Gear. Blokey stuff. Blokey humor. Which Especially he- new, new Top Gear because we've had old, old Top Gear, which was the 70s to 90s version that died because it had too many presenters and not enough in-studio segments. Oh, really? <laughs> about that. How about that? <laughs> yeah, and now and then we had old new Top Gear. Uh, you know, we all know how that went. And now, is it new, new Top Gear? Yeah, top like, Gear 3.0? I, think, I, I, don't I think what Adam's getting at here is that it seems to be going back to the old magazine-style car show format, which was the backbone of Top Gear, in the 70s when it first the one where they reviewed caravans with a straight face yeah they reviewed caravans they had people like angela rippon on there as broadcasters even though she was a newsreader at the time noel edmonds quinton wilson the old boys club <laughs> of presenters and a little bit of tiff as well even though i love tiff nadell so i'm not i'm not no there will be no tiff slander on this podcast no, no i mean alongside <laughs> him there was also like clarkson and i believe yeah, james may made his debut on that show as well vicky butler henderson was in there yes she um was. And a very young VBH, yes. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um yeah, no, that, that format continued because if you didn't like what uh new top new, old new top gear did, um <laughs> there was a show that was kind of a natural sequel to old old top gear, which was fifth gear, which is um doing really well now, isn't it? We're, yeah, what channel is it on again, Johnson? Uh I don't know. Uh what is it? It's, it's the it's the fucking history channel, mate. Is that one of those ones where you have to scroll through like all the dodgy adult channels before you get to it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're scrolling past Babe Station, Television X, Gay Rabbit, Gay Rabbit. <laughs> I knew you'd make that reference. Yeah, we, you got to go through all of them to get to the history channel. The ones where you, if you, if, especially if you're sitting with like your your parents or your family scrolling through the channels, you're, um, uh, uh, hang on, go quick, quick, go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah, just, just. Just, just start at five oh one and go from there. No, um, but yeah, it's <laughs> well, luckily of... for our prudish American ways, that does not exist here. <laughs> oh, unlucky! The Americans are being progressive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what well, they've actually realised the internet exists. <laughs> <laughs> How dare he? But um, yeah, <laughs> look, 
fifth gear as we know i think it's, it's a shame because i actually really enjoy fifth gear as a yeah. program and I, i'm subscribed to their youtube channel like they still produce great content but their new format looks it's just like not mainstream style is it like it doesn't look that there's not enough pure petrol heads out there for a show like that to work on a mainstream channel because mm. it's not like people haven't tried to copy the top gear format in the past like remember when itv had pulling power back in the day and it, and it, exactly <laughs> <laughs> like it was on Wait, ITV. let me google that yeah, it was on ITV and it was on really late at night, uh, and and it just it never caught on because there's always been car journalists out there, but it's it's not a marketable industry. Like there's a really great Chris Harris article he puts up on Jalopnik where he talks about how making money in the auto industry is kind of dead now, really, because yeah, yeah, every, everyone's going to YouTube and, and because print media as we know it is dying. Just look at the independent that was moving to online only this week and our bbc3 is now online only because mm. the game is changing and you know it's, it's, it's little things like that there's not enough pure petrol heads out there to get into a show like this in my opinion and mm. the reason top gear became the global phenomenon it was was because of the chemistry of the lead three it was just yeah. three blokey blokes going out there doing shit that happened to have cars in it yeah it exactly it wasn't like the cars themselves were a bonus for if you're a petrolhead. People were watching because it was great entertainment. The closest like, they got to serious car reviewing was Clarkson power sliding a Pagani Zonda around the test track and then occasionally going, oh, but it's not very good on fuel. And you're like, because anyone buying one of those would care. Yeah, no, that was your mandatory, oh, we are still a car show, honest. And then we get back to blowing up caravans and flying off cliffs in Arkansas or something or other, or annoying the Americans. That's something they did quite yeah, a lot. Or being slightly racist. But, um, or nearly getting shot by Argentinians. Yes. So, you know, that Top Gear, the backbone of what Top Gear was in its heyday was nothing to do with the cars itself, really. It was more to do with the presenters. And like I've said before, if you're having seven dudes on a show, it's hard for any of them to stand out. And here's another problem. If you're appealing to a mainstream audience on a Sunday night on BBC Two, how many of those people are you going to know? Like, you'll know Chris Evans. You'll probably recognise Matt LeBlanc. Mm. Sabine, you've probably got to be a motorsport fan or watch the, or a previous watcher of Top Gear in the past. No one's going to know who Rory Reid is. <laughs> no, not Chris even Harris. Did. Chris Harris is a push. And, and and that might only be a handful of petrol heads out there that know who Chris Harris is on a mainstream level. So... You're kind of struggling here, really. That's the problem. So, I mean, there was there was a meme released uh, recently where it was literally a case of someone had captioned each of the presenters, and it was right. literally from left to right. It was no idea. Didn't she once drive around the Nurburgring on old Top Gear? Yeah. That dude from Friends. Yeah. Um, guy from Breakfast Radio. Yeah. I think this one's the guy who knows about cars. That's Chris yeah. Harris. Yeah. <laughs> Annoying dad from F1. And underneath the stick, it just said, the one who couldn't go to Amazon. <laughs> the one who couldn't go to Amazon. I think that was another meme where they, where they had Eddie Jordan as Ringo. as a reference <laughs> to the shit one from the Beatles. <laughs> so, you know. Not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Yeah, it, it, it's not a good look at mm. all. I'm like, you know, I, of course, will watch the new show when it comes out in May, but I'm not optimistic it's going to last. No. At it, all. It doesn't feel good. I mean, this is not even a case of you. I mean, you've not been optimistic on stuff lasting before, and then it did. See, Manor. But... Oh, shut up. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a shit example, and you know it. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, it just feels to me like the BBC have gone, we can make Top Gear better than the people who used to make Top Gear. And it's just like, 
No. I mean, compare it to how the reboot of Robot Wars is being positioned. I'm not just saying this because I'm on the hype train about Robot Wars. Liar. Legitimately, <laughs> Robot Wars is getting pretty much everything right so far in terms of playing to the nostalgia, mm-hmm. knowing what made the old show awesome, but also moving it forward. And so far, uh, people are a lot more excited about the Robot Wars reboot than they are the new Top Gear. New, new Top Gear, I should say. And it just feels to me like the BBC have gone, Mentorn, you did Robot Wars in the old days, you handle the new one. Whereas with Top Gear, it's like, fuck it, we can make Top Gear better than those old oafs <laughs> who are now on Amazon. And those guys are just... It's almost at this point, it's almost like the new, the old, the uh, old new Top Gear presenters <laughs> are sat over with Amazon Prime. They're like in the corner of the club with like their rich new like partner... Who's just sitting there throwing like wads of money at them to be like, go on, boys, go get yourself some more cocktails. Go on, live <laughs> yeah. it up, live it up. And then over the other side of the room is Chris Evans just sat there like, okay, guys, um, we've got new, new Top Gear here. And then someone goes, didn't you throw up when you tried to do a car review, Chris? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you, you try like, and quit three times already? No. <laughs> and and it, just, it just feels like they're onto a hiding to nothing here, honestly. Yeah, not to mention the Prime Gear guys have got £180 million to play. That's what I mean, man. They're just rolling in the money. They can blow up infinite yeah. amounts of caravans. That's they're, 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 ridiculous. Their episode budget is four point times larger than it was with the BBC. Oh. I guarantee you they'll have less restrictions on what they can say, which is... They can say anything. They're on the internet now. Exactly. <laughs> Have you Thompson not must just seen be sat there at home cards. writing the scripts for this, just rubbing his hands together, going, "No, I can't say that." The director will take it. Oh wait, no, I can totally say that. <laughs> exactly. What were you saying, King? Real quick. It's like, have you not seen House of Cards? Anything is free on the internet. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, optimistically, I'm struggling on this one. I really am. But mm. uh, hey, keep, why don't you comment if you're listening on SoundCloud and tell us about what you think of New Gear so far and the anticipation to it, sir? reveal in may more news now and uh what is it dre uh, I, I, I can't believe i'm doing this again what is it i gotta talk about carmen jorda no! oh, oh just forgot about enough that. the jenny gal stuff earlier no uh, oh yeah. Qu- quickly get your tin hats on yeah get to the bunkers the yep. internet is riled again start burning your bras folks carmen jorda's been playing <laughs> Yeah, Ow. this time it's 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 Richie Stanaway and Marcus Sorensen throwing the shade in Carmen Jordan's direction. First of all, it was Marcus Sorensen who made the claim that he was twelve seconds a lap faster on the simulators than Carmen was, and like I I love that Marcus used the terms "I feel violated" when it went. <laughs> When like he's the faster one, and he said he yeah, felt yeah. violated for somebody else at work. Like, yeah. like, am I, like, am I missing something? Like, like what, what, what were the lunch breaks like at, at, at in Endstone? I, I can I just to say, know. can I just say, I did GT Academy last year, and I was more than twelve seconds slower than Jan Mardenborough. Didn't feel violated. Felt a lot no. of things. <laughs> I feel violated by Carmen Jordan having the same job as me. <laughs> wow. What? <laughs> what? I just. I just, I, I just expect Carmen Jordan walking up to him in the cafeteria with like a name badge of some sort, saying Carmen Jordan, development driver, and she's being like in her thick Spanish accent, "Hey Marco, you like this fella?" <laughs> hey Marco, <laughs> let me just go and play on the simulator. Oh wait, no, you can't come with me. It's like a Mean Girls thing at this point. Yeah, yeah. 
It is. It, That's it, the it levels is, we've hit now. It is essentially Mean Girls 2, the Half-Life 3 of movies. But uh, <laughs> it's it, it, it doesn't help that, you know... Like, again, I, I, just, I just find that language so funny. I felt violated. It's just I, not good, is it? To be fair, most guys would not complain if they felt like they were being violated by Carmen Jordan. Oh! <laughs> oh Thank you very much. Um, King's just like, well, no, back up, back up now, back out, back out. <laughs> <laughs> we're out we're out too far too far <laughs> evacuate evacuate now thank you i'm here all week everybody try the veal meanwhile after carbon jordan laughed off the plane on twitter his former teammate richie stanaway chipped in and said along the lines of if you didn't finish last in every gp3 race we wouldn't all be laughing at you and i'm like damn son well, <laughs> can I just say, before we get this discussion going properly, mm. I I felt like such a hipster on Twitter because suddenly everyone was like, oh, who's this Richie Stanaway guy? And I'm like, he's been the guy who's been driving in WEC for Aston Martin Racing in GTE Pro for the last few years. Keep up. He's actually really good. You may continue. Ooh, you sassy <laughs> yeah. bitch. I'm not helping Drake's claims of me being a WEC hipster, am I? No, you're not. Not in the slightest. <laughs> or as I know, he could... Or as I know, he's, you know, one of the many students of the Mark Webber school of th keeping things real. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, you see, there is that King, as well. See, King says keeping things real. I say being a dick. Um, <laughs> There's um, just no need for comments like this, really. I mean, this was such a, like, high school bitch session, wasn't it? It, it was a dead it was a dead horse like it really was like we all know carmen jordan is slow and i'm saying i'm going to be copying my draby for it for the next 30 seconds or so but we all knew carmen jordan was slow i still we remember you doing your dre tv a year ago when she was announced and you were literally yeah. like she is 12 seconds no she's like 12 seconds a lap slower around spa how the what what is this but of course yeah. that's natural reaction at the time because she'd just been hired not a year later out of nowhere Johnson, I'm going to remind you for the second time now. I was not dissing the fact that Carmen Jordan got the job. I was dissing the system itself. Like, we all know Carmen Jordan's shit. No one, like, no one is dismissing that at this point. The point In is, before is that, we like, now get in a Twitter war with her. Yeah. It's like, yeah. The, 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 the point <laughs> is, is that like, <laughs> I'm surprised I've not, I've not been blocked by it. She probably should be following me when I've given up to defending her over the last year or so. But. This oh, is a... Dre softened his opinion on me. Oh, no, he hasn't. <sighs> Look, this is a simple matter of don't hate the player, hate the game. Absolutely. Uh, and Carmen yeah. Jordan is paid to look pretty and drive a simulator all day. You she's will prove not... that she's good at her job. Look at how often the Sky F1 cameras were on her during free practice last year. It works. <laughs> it works. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you're gonna get mad, if you're gonna get mad, get mad at the at the Twitter account you all apparently love because you know Lotus hired her and Renault decided to retain her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, she's and also money. Yeah, exactly. Can I just say, at this point, judging by who Force India have been signing up recently, isn't the developmental <laughs> driver spot basically just a free paycheck now? Yes. It literally is a case of you're not you're barely going to be driving the actual race car. You're going to be doing some simulator work. You're going to be, in Carmen's case, looking pretty in the garage. How much money do you bring? Okay, like, that's a good deal. Like, like seriously, like in in the Dre in the Dre brief video, I quoted myself about one of Force India's development drivers, and I said, "Seriously, Force India, who is this guy? Is this F1 Dream Camp now?" <laughs> <laughs> He got in on. He got in via the Make a Wish Foundation. Clearly, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like 
Carmen Jordan is shit. We know that she's shit. That, that's not the reason she got hired. She got hired because Renault, obviously Lotus at the time, but Renault know people can't stop talking about her. And that's the entire point. Mm. Like, you're not hiring her to actually get anything meaningful out of. She's an easy money bag. And for some reason, we keep taking the bait on this. And the media takes the bait on it because it's easy It's easy headline generates. It's, it's, it says it's easy um, gen, um, headlines being generated by Carmen being talked about all the time. In And people want to talk about the ethics of hiring developmental drivers and based on ability and whatnot. That's never been how the game has been played in Formula 1. Just because she's really slow and may or may not be female doesn't mean the game suddenly changes. That's how it's always been. So slamming Carmen Jordan for being crap, yeah, sure, if it makes it feel better, go for it. But at the same time, that's the, not the reason she got that job. Don't take the bait, people. Stop being so stupid. And Richie Stanaway, stop being a dick. Like, seriously... You bashing her for having that job doesn't make yours any better. Especially yeah, given, that's kind of the big deal out of all especially this, really. given he scored zero points with Carlin since he's joined them. Like it's kind of a very, very small moral higher ground to be taking a, a position on right now. Like, can can Mark Webber's drivers stop being dicks, please? <laughs> like it, it gets on my goddamn nerves because that camp is always so vocal and it's over the most bitchy of shit. Like, it really is, and it gets on my damn nerves. I'm done. It's almost like... Do you feel better now, Trey? Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) It's it's almost like Ozzy and Kiwi drivers feel like they're oppressed or something. We've been held back by the system, King. (laughs) 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 They put us on this island to complain. (laughs) Like, like, secretly. We reveal next year that Mitch Evans is secretly a part of the Illuminati. Uh, Thank you. Even even though he'll never get into Formula One. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on from that real quick because I've already talked about that for way longer than I wanted to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just breathe, Dre. Breathe. I'm fine. I'm fine. There we go. Just, 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 just. You can go to sleep safe at night, knowing that you know my cute face will never get blocked by Carmen Giordano. Yay. Because <laughs> some things in life are just worth living. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to another brief bit of news before we move on to the Q&A. Sergio Marchioveni said in a recent interview with the Gazetta that Alfa Romeo must consider returning to Formula 1 as a constructor in collaboration with Ferrari. So, King, has Sauber officially jumped the shark as a B-team now? <laughs> is, is, is that well, it? Well, when your cars go from, you know, white or grey to, you know, just bright yellow and blue, that's kind of like a warning signal saying, yeah, Ferrari, you're you're a help and all, but you're not that big of a help. It's the colour scheme, King. It was the dead giveaway. We've moved on here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're trying to get away from that whole Ferrari B-team thing. So who's in, who's in the car? Oh, Wait, all these range of drivers, all 14 of them. Um, but yeah, it doesn't help. But Alfa Romeo making a return is interesting. I know Alfa Romeo was on the cars last year as a sponsor and whatnot. And, like, do Ferrari want another B team here? Is, is, is that the long and the short of this? And can Alfa Romeo actually afford to even get back into Formula One? Well, it feels okay. to me like, it feels to me, well, Ryan's going to have a, a word on this, obviously. Um, it feels to me like this would just be a marketing exercise anyway. It would be basically rebadged Ferrari engines anyway, because they're all in the Fiat group. Fiat group, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And if it's Ferrari's attempt to try and copy what Red Bull have done with Toro Rosso, then 
Why not? Has, hasn't that kind of been on the cards for like five or six years now that they've, they've, they've made it known they've wanted a B team for quite some time? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Like we so. had, the, you had the whole Testarossa rumor flying around a couple of years ago, as as it was. We we had the thought, well, is Haas going to be a Ferrari B team? And like, you, you're going to tell a billionaire to run a B team? Come on now. <laughs> well, they almost certainly have. They're sharing tech with Ferrari. They're getting Ferrari engines, and they're running a Ferrari reserve driver. So there's a big if, element there. If you but they're not think, directly a B team. If you don't think Ginas is going to try and beat those bastards, what do you think is going to happen? Of oh, course, course yeah. Well, he he got his engines and his cars for a long time from Hendrick Motorsports in NASCAR. He still beat them. Exactly. So you know that's the plan. Exactly. But um, you know, Ferrari trying to get Alfa Romeo is no is no is no surprise to me at all. Whether they can afford it or not, probably not, because Alfa Romeo has never been a well reputed car car brand, like often known for shit reliability and whatnot. And I don't see where they're making their money from right now because they don't do very well in Europe in terms of car sales. Well, maybe that's why they're talking about bringing them back into Formula One. Maybe, maybe. they need a bad promotional boost because they do have history in Formula One. And what's always a good selling point in Formula One? Nostalgia. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Because you know. They won the first two World Drivers Championship with, you know, Alberto Ascari and, you know, the maestro, Juan Manuel Fangio. Oh, those guys. Yeah, no, they were pretty good. Yeah, no, it was all right. <laughs> it was all right. Um, moving on quickly. Honda have announced. Wait, wait, I'm not done. I'm oh, not oh, done. I, I never got to put in my two cents on the situation. Go on, King. Go, go right Well, <laughs> a lot of people have brought this down to a corporate thing because over the past year ferrari you know they became a publicly traded company and are no longer technically a part of the fiat family now yes most of their shares are still held by fiat but they're not a fiat company anymore so fiat chrysler kind of still want to have their own in-house formula one team and they think a way they could do that is by bringing alfa romeo back into the fold Mm -hmm. interesting yeah, that's, it'll make more sense than the Dodge Formula One team. Yeah, as much yeah. as I love Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's interesting. But um, yeah, let's move on quickly and let's go to Honda real quick. Honda have announced a I like to call it the Japanese reshuffle. Um, it looks like Stoffel Van Dorn is packing his bags, heading to Japan to take part in Super Formula next year, and Matsuhita will be driving for the ART. Grand Prix team in GP2 next season, and Fukuzumi will be moving up to race in GP3. Insert general comment about how it's a damn shame Stoffel isn't in Formula 1 here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd like to mention that, in fact, this is probably the best place for him to go right now because it's the fact, only place for him to it go it is the right only place now. for him to go and it's much better than him sitting on the sidelines twiddling his thumbs as a reserve stroke development driver and the super formula series in japan along with its super gt championship down there is seriously off the scale i mean this is a series which has uh, has got some serious talent in it right now i know andre lotter does it as a day job alongside mm-hmm. his audi wec commitments um and it's, I, I looked a little while ago the lap time comparison between F1 and Super Formula, it's not that far away. They are serious bits of kit down there. And there's probably no better place for Van Dorn to either make a career, because a lot of guys have gone down there and have made a very healthy career in Japan. I'm thinking like James mm-hmm. Rossiter, uh, yeah. Ralph Furman. He, he, he kind of saw out his career in Japan. Or as a way of keeping himself fresh for when an F1 seat does open up, it's a really good place to be. And I know there's a lot of, there's quite a few former and. Uh, Japanese drivers who have kind of been around the F1 scene in the last decade or so, they're mm-hmm. also down there as well. So I think Kazuki Nakajima's in that series right now. 
Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you know, it's it, it's not like it's not a well reputed series. It's no, just it's a good choice. It's just an annoying alternative because we all know Stoffel should be in F one and probably should be for at least the last two years already. But then again, there's there's going to be if there's only eighteen to twenty seats in F one, there's yeah. going to be forty or fifty guys who should be in F one. Exactly. So you know, we, we we've been here before. We've said it time and time again. We you know the deal with Stoffel. We all know he's good enough to be in Formula One. But McLaren burned the academy to the ground. <laughs> to get Fernando Alonso back in because we thought we can win now. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'd like to see how much he develops in GP2 as well. I'm quite curious about that. But uh, again, you know, Stoffel season insert here, hopefully. Stoffel season two, Stoffel harder. <laughs> Stoffel harder. Yeah. Uh, so, the QA and a few questions we can get through before we wrap this up and get out of Dodge. Question from Sam Vaughan. Hello, sir. He says, Renault have said they expect they won't be on the podiums this year. Whereabouts do you think they'll slot in on the grid? Mm. Ooh. Mm. I'm, think- I'm thinking occasional point scorer. Oh, yeah. I think they'll be way- I think they'll be better than that. I think there'll be with the Red Bull and Toro Rosso within, you know, that midfield area. So what you're thinking, maybe what, six to twelve? Uh I'd say 10, 8, round there. Eight to t- yeah, that's, that's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I pretty much a little bit more specific. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more. Just like, they'll, they'll be in the points more than occasionally. Okay, so you, you think... So kind of like Force India end of last year. Yeah. No, yeah. Force India was better than that last year. Like, no, that's true, actually. No, so, maybe Lotus end of last year. Perez, Perez, was, Perez, was, like a top six, <laughs> Perez was regularly in the top six the second half of the end of the season. That's very true. Um, but yeah, like Renault, I think that's about right. I think lower end of the points on an average basis, I think is about right. Mm. Maybe occasionally they might creep into the top six if, if, if the cards fall their way. I mean, if Renault themselves are saying they're three years away from regular podiums, then I would not expect much out of that camp at all this year. Yeah. Shout out to Avery and, and, as well, who actually asked the question, is the, is the Van Dorn hype train legit yet? Well, of course it is. <laughs> we all know Van Dorn is there. We all know he's good enough. It's just, you know, et cetera. And <laughs> three years is, is a dangerous timetable to have because four years from now, we're expecting new engine regulations. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so, this is, can <laughs> I just say, go on, go on. they're talking about the three-year plan for Renault. They also said they had a three-year plan for Nissan's prototype program. Right. Tell all the employees who got laid off via email four days before Christmas that. Mm-hmm. Just saying. So take that with a little bit of a pinch of salt. Granted, the Renault Formula 1 car is not powered by potatoes um, or any other sort of radical yep. idea as much as the Nissan P1 car was, and mm-hmm. maybe I'm still a little bit bitter about that. But yep. the point remains. Three-year project, nah. They'll be wanting success from the off. Exactly, but you know that's just how it's going to be, really. Yeah. Um, Johnson, you got some questions as well, mate. I have, yes. Uh, why don't you take another one? I'm just going to quickly. No, no, I've got them here. Got them here. I'm prepared. Yeah. Um, we have one from Mateo J39 Smooth. That's a Green Day referencing username. I like that. Of course. Uh, how well do you think Red Bull will perform this season after the catastrophe with Renault and trying to find a new engine supplier last year? Run that by me one more time. How, basically, how well do you think Red Bull will do this year, given their struggles last year with engine manufacturers and things like that? So basically, we're kind of like how good a Red Bull are betting against themselves, basically, because <laughs> we all know they've they've got a we've got a Tag Heuer power unit for this year, 
which is basically Renault without the badge. Um, Red Bull are going to pour a shit ton of money into this. Yeah. Like They were the first team in F1 history last year to put more than £200 million into development in a single season. No wonder they were so annoyed when it wasn't working. Exactly, because they poured a bucket load of cash into this. And... Mm. They finished what was it fourth overall last year, so yeah, not which good is, enough. Which which is their weakest season I think since two thousand and eight. So, yeah, not good luck. How good are they at engine development? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's what it's going to boil down to here. And like, do they think they know better than Renault themselves? Um, because we all know that aero and chassis is really good, but they lack the power to really contend on more power based circuits. Another point as well. We talk about good aero. This year will be the start of the non-Adrian New era, correct? Indeed. Yes. So. Uh, I mean, yes and no. He's still and he's still a consultant. Yeah. yeah. He it, it basically he gets to come into work whenever he feels like it. <laughs> that is that, like that is the goodest of good ass jobs right there. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, I'm gonna throw it out there. And say, I think Renault will beat them in the constructors. Six, six to eight on average. I don't think yeah. Renault will beat. I don't think Renault will beat them because the aero and chassis is not going to be as good, in my opinion. Hmm. But I think they'll. I think they'll regularly be in the six to eight kind of range. Like Ricardo is yeah. really good. We know that Kvyat was probably the most underappreciated driver of 2015. Quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I can't see him cracking the big three on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah I, I basically see it as status quo from last year with less retirements. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think the bottom end of the midfield, like the sort of Manor McLaren end of the midfield, lower end, is going to be a bit closer. But towards the upper end, I don't see much of a change overall. Yeah, I'm going to kind of agree with that. Next question, Johnson. Right, we also have uh, discuss options for a second manager. I think that's been covered. Yeah. Um, how well do you think Haas and Manor will finish in the Constructors' Championship this year? I think Manor will still be at the back. I, I, I'm not convinced they're going to beat anybody. Um, that team still seems like a bit of a hodgepodge to me, like a Frankenstein's Moss-driven F1 team. Haas is interesting. They have they have one of the best power units in the field, and they and they're willing to spend big. I think they'll score points off the out of the box. Quite frankly, I think mm. they're going to be quite good. Uh, we also have, um, well, this is basically an extension of what was going to be the big story of Silly Season last year, but it didn't happen because uh, Kimi Raikkonen signed a contract extension. Uh, from Diet Dew Cup Series, we have who will replace Kimi at Ferrari next season if he retires? Because we all thought he was going to retire at the end of last year. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Now, this is very complicated, I'd say, because... I'm going to stay out of this as a Nico Hulkenberg fan, a very frustrated <laughs> one at this point. It's, it's, it's probably... Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, this discussion's probably going to get you more frustrated, because... Come I'm not prepared to have ago, my heart broken all over again. I'm not getting my hopes up. A couple months ago, I would have said Lance Stroll. But Lance Stroll got up and left the Ferrari Academy and took its director. And <laughs> I don't know. Maybe... Maybe got, uh, Marcello... He got up out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like thinking maybe Marcello. I don't know. Maybe Lucas Giotto. You think it'll be a rookie of some kind? Yeah. I, uh, like, it depends on how much a B-team Haas is willing to be. 
because maybe they'll promote a Haas driver and then Haas will take a Ferrari Academy driver. But True. that's still looking shaky. Mm-hmm. And as for Raikkonen seats itself? Uh, I, I'm i leaning Grosjean. I'm, I'm leaning Grosjean. Really? Mm, yeah. Seat. Not a bad shout. Not a bad shout. If Haas get too good, maybe. Maybe they'll just pinch Grosjean and move him along because Grosjean is really, really good. Um, because the thing is, the 2017 driver market is interesting because Daniel Ricciardo will be out of contract, as will Valtteri Bottas. Um, Max Verstappen, technically, even though I don't see where he goes because they're going to hoard him like the like the yeah. got the, like the golden goose to the years. Um, <laughs> yeah, now now you mentioned Bottas. Now I'm just thinking Ferraris are just going to nuke the academy for the 10th time and just sign Bottas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there you go. Um, I think I, I, I personally, I think Grosjean's a, a pretty good shout, quite frankly. And I hope you, I hope you're right because Grosjean, does, Grosjean would be awesome in any top end team. We know he can challenge for wins in the right car, so I'd be down for Grosjean. But what I think will actually happen, they'll go Bottas because they like a good Finn. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> he is kind of Kimi 2.0 at this point, mm-hmm. or he's being groomed to be at least. Yeah, definitely. You know, even though he's got way more personality than, than Kimi Raikkonen has in his finger, but um, but yeah, basically, before we go, just just so you know, we can get a hold of us. Um, Ryan King is on Twitter at Ryan Eric King. He puts the hashtags, he puts the Twitter usernames in every time he, he puts a video up on the YouTube channel, which you can catch at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We are also now on TuneIn and Stitcher, as well as obviously iTunes and SoundCloud um, at soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport101 if you want to listen to the show directly on there. Uh, of course, you can subscribe to all those places as well so you know you you have no excuse listen to us damn it uh we, we make sexual jokes about carmen jordan we're really mature uh <laughs> also professional yeah, and you can find everything to do with me personally on the harrison101.com website so you can check all of that out on there you have no excuse listen to us and if you really really like us why not support us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 you can support the show get some cool perks we'll be sorting that stuff out next week people have been listening to us so thanks very much for your patience on that i didn't think we'd be getting so many patrons already so god bless you people out there and special shout out as well to tom stanley and jake callahan they were the two new patrons we've had since we started um since the last episode we've had so thank you very much to those guys as well thank you very much for listening wherever you are so from me, Adam Johnson and Ryan King, I've been Andre Harrison. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Sayonara.